Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Bit Spursy. I'm Barney. I'm Dan. And we have a very special guest here with us today to talk about the Aston Villa game. Uh, if you would like to introduce him, Dan. Yes, yes. So this is a, a very special guest we've mentioned a few times before on the uh, on the pod. Uh, it is my dad, Alan. How are you doing? I'm well. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me onto your podcast. Um, um, I've I've listened to them all so far, and I've been very pleasantly entertained. Thank you. We paid you to say that, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, paid you, paid you in burgers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. No, it was it's uh, it's good because obviously uh, all my life that I've been a Spurs supporter, um, it's kind of down to one person uh, who is Dad. Um, actually, on that note, my first question is: Did I wrong you as a child? <laughs> is this punishment for something I did when I was younger? <laughs> well, I thought if I'm a long-suffering Spurs supporter, I think someone else in the world needs to join me. But I've got a feeling there's a lot of others who would sympathise with that listening tonight. Yeah, I think uh, so. I don't have any excuse because uh, uh, it was self-inflicted. I didn't have a parent who supported Spurs. Um, they they didn't follow football. They... Um, they actually dragged me along to um, rugby games. We live quite near to Twickenham um, in England. And um, I soon got to work out that I'd rather play a sport and watch a sport where the, the idea is to keep the ball on the pitch rather than kick it out off the pitch. <laughs> so that is basically my knowledge of what rugby is. <laughs> it's kind of get rid of the ball, kick it away, put it out, and somehow you get the ball back. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's great. So, what um, to delve back into that a little bit? What uh, what year did you first start going for Spurs? Well, um, it's good and bad because uh, the good bit is that it was 1960 uh, 61 season, and and that was the season of the remarkable double team. Um, so, that was the great thing. the 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 bad thing is that um, I. Being a six-year-old, I, I probably didn't really appreciate the significance of that so much. And also, it probably represents peak Spurs. It's sort of been, <laughs> it's been a real roller co- coaster ride after since that. So basically, it's been a downhill <laughs> for sixty yeah. years. Well, I wouldn't say downhill. It's it may be a yeah slightly slight decline. Um, and we've had moments along the way. Obviously, the Birkinshaw, uh, the Nicholson. Uh, years with without doubt the most successful years in Spurs history um, and then um, we had a good uh, some good cup performances under Birkinshaw um, and then we obviously had the Irvine and um, and and Alan Sugar years where the club nearly went bust and there was a few <laughs> cup appearances and then we had the, you know, the the the, the start of a, a very promising era with uh, Pochettino, uh, which in the end sort of ended up in tears a bit and didn't re- really fulfil the uh, the promise of those first couple of years. So, yeah, the roller coaster ride continues, yeah. <laughs> and then we're into this season. I think one of the reasons I'm enjoying your um, your podcast is. Uh, <laughs> is the fact that this season really needs a lot of comic relief. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of my favourite moments, I think, along the roller coaster, which I think would would make the sort of like loop the loop or what, what do you call that, like the upside down bit? I think it's a loop the loop. Is that what it's called? I the think it's the called loop the loop. Uh, the analogy I'm trying to make is that's the Tim Sherwood yeah. <laughs> six months that we had. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
Well, r- remarkably, Tim Sherwood is second in the all-time record for um, points per game. See. And, in fact, I think he holds it. I think Pochettino is 1.9 uh, points per game and I think little Tim with uh, is on <laughs> 1.91 on half a season. But, um, yeah, he's, I think he's the top points per game manager all time. Hmm. That is troubling <laughs> to me. I, Does it need to be King Tim then? Yeah, uh, Tim. I like Little Tim. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I do like Little Tim. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Little Tim. I like the dad's come on. He's already started throwing some barbs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is great. Little Tim. Mm. Little this Tim. Ca- this, it's funny that this game reminded me very much of a Tim, the Aston Villa game, reminded me very much of a Tim Sherwood game uh, in the sense that I didn't feel like there was any sort of particular um, – tactical plan it was just sort of like back to basics we try and win everyone you know get out there and have a bit of a run around and in a sense uh the 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 feeling after the victory was very similar to a tim sherwood victory for me which was like oh okay <laughs> oh that happened <laughs> yeah, um, it, it didn't feel i guess um you know 100 percent accomplished in a sense like yeah it wasn't like okay we had a game plan we executed that perfectly mm. we tore them tore them apart and you know, showed them what football really is. Um, but it was, yeah, it was weird. Like, it, but at the same time, it was relieving to get a win um, oh, yeah. after last week. Mm. And I think it would have been disastrous if we had lost oh, lost yeah. that Villa game. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I I, uh, I wonder what the international break would have been like having lost that Villa game. I think it would have been very depressing. <laughs> yeah. I think the interesting thing now is uh, is what team is he going to throw up next game? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, there are some surprises in the selection. Yeah, <laughs> some big surprises. Uh, Dan, you would have been very pleased that your king, your lord, Carlos Vinicius, started the game. Oh, look, Vinny needs – can someone put some respect on Vinny's name? <laughs> can someone please put a bit more respect on Vinny's name? Yeah. Um, I was so happy to see him start because I've been a big fan of him all season. Uh, he's basically scoring whenever he starts. That's true. I think he's got nine goals from nine starts. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think he's also the uh, top goal scorer in the Europa League. I think he was true? until we the round we got knocked out. I think someone else might have a team. But he was definitely top scorer, um, I think, heading into that Zagreb leg. And so it's like he's scoring goals. Um, I think I saw a stat the other day that also his nine goals have come off 12 shots. Wow. Or something. So you can argue and say, did any of those come against Marine? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, but they're still goals. Right? Yeah. They still count. That's I think. I think he's a. I think he's a big fox in the box. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he just happens to be there at the right time to do a tap in. Nothing complicated, but he scores goals, and isn't that what a striker <laughs> needs to do? Exactly. Definitely, and like, there's a lot of debate um, at the moment as to should we sign him, should we not? Because his overall fee, I think, is in the region of 40, 45 million pounds or so. Um, I'm definitely in the in the yay camp. I would I would love us to sign him, especially off the the display we saw last night. Um, in the sense that I don't think he necessarily needs to be thought of as just a pure backup to Kane. Yep. Like I think we can get some more rotation going on with the team, and I think it shows that he can also play in the same lineup as Kane. So it's not a backup just to sit on the bench and only come in when Kane's injured or tired. I a couple of weeks ago you posed this question to me as to whether I would want to sign him and use the buyout clause. And I was uh, very hesitant, uh, perhaps uh, a little uh, antagonistic to your suggestion <laughs> that we would do that. But 
Um, I, I mean, you're right. Every time he plays, I'm impressed. And we haven't had a striker, a backup striker to Kane that has impressed me maybe ever since Kane's come through. Um, so I think, you know, finding a good striker that is able to play alongside Kane or back him up for the, for the fee of 40 million pounds, maybe isn't so bad. I, I'm still a bit hesitant, but yeah. Well, I guess put it into context, Joel Linton from Newcastle mm-hmm. was 40 million pounds. Sign him. <laughs> Sign him and get him in. Get, get him in. in. He's got three goals this whole season. <laughs> yeah. So Vinicius oh. is three, you know, three times as good as that. Yep. Do the math, 120 million pounds. That's his true value. <laughs> yeah. Getting in for 45 would be a steal. It's a steal. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I like that logic. I'm all for it. We also, we also, oh, sorry. Well, also, maybe he's giving his compatriot a new lease of life in Mora. So get the two Brazilians on the field at the same time and, uh, and we might get a repeat performance of the Villa game. <laughs> totally. The little Brazilian buddies. Um, yeah. Look at them go. They've, they've, they, there's something going on mm. <laughs> that's getting because Mora's playing. Uh, I feel bad in a sense, Mike, because like the first couple of episodes of this, we spent most of our time. Um, I wouldn't say completely slagging off Mora, yeah. Um, but we definitely weren't talking him up. It was like fifty percent us talking about other players and fifty percent of us slagging off Mora. It wasn't a complete, <laughs> yeah. Um, which is you know odd in a sense because he's going to go down as a club legend for that hat trick in Amsterdam, but. Or not, I don't know, he's got a special place. I'm not going to go as far to say a club legend. He's going to have a special place in Spurs fans' hearts. <laughs> but he has been really good. In you know, He's been consistent, probably his most consistent run uh, in the team, I think, since he since he started. Well, I, I think the change of position is, is really suiting him. I think uh, uh, playing as a wing striker, I think he gets crowded out in the wing and he sort of runs into a cul-de-sac. Um, the way he's Boy, does play- he run into a cul-de-sac <laughs> when he's out on the wing. Yeah. But in the middle, he's, he's, he's sort of sort of playing that sort of Paul Gascoigne role where you could break through the lines. Um, and he's, you know, he's a small guy, low, low centre of gravity, and he can turn and beat a player and he gets into that space in between the midfield and the strikers. And he has got a bit of pace. And I think, um, I think it's, you know, that sort of number 10 role is suiting him much better than putting him out on the right as a wing striker. Well, I think as well, all that aggressive pressing that he's doing in there, like playing as that like advanced destroyer type mm. position um, is really suiting him because uh, in the Villa game, um, he liked the Crystal Palace game, uh, basically was at the start of a move that led to a goal from him just putting a player under pressure, mm. uh, nicking the ball off them. Um, and then I think what I really liked about his role in the Villa goal was he gave it to Kane quickly, got it back. Uh, he didn't actually have to do too much dribbling on the ball. Yep. Uh, but he used his movement really well and it was still a really nice cross across to uh, Vinny. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. It was. I was really impressed with that whole move. I thought it was fantastic. It, re- it reminded me of, uh, especially because Lucas pressed, it reminded me of a Pochettino era goal where we were trying to win the ball back higher up. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. It was I, nice. I can't believe I'm saying this about <laughs> Lucas Moura, but it was really nice. No, we're just watching the replay of that goal. I, I, I completely agree. I think that goal was very reminiscent of uh, the first two years of Pochettino, where all the young, young young players were prepared to run themselves into the ground, train hard and and press really high. And that uh, that goal was so reminiscent of, um, of, of those first two uh, years with Pochettino. I totally agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's it's interesting, though, because we haven't really scored too many goals like that recently. Apart from, say, the, the, the Palace game, which 
the same goal that, Luke, um, that Lucas was involved with. But for the rest of the season, we haven't really had that many goals that follow that sort of pattern. That's very true. Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice little renaissance <laughs> of the pressing game. On on the uh, youngsters that want to run themselves into the ground, we also had uh, Roden and Tanganga coming to the team, and I was uh, very impressed with both of them. I don't know what either of you thought. Um, I agree, and I think um, I think Jose. It was sort of maybe the final roll of the dice because he basically threw caution to the wind. Um, He's put Sanchez and Rodon as an inexperienced, and I still call Sanchez inexperienced. Mm. He's been a big disappointment. I thought he would be developing to the next Ledley King, and he just hasn't developed in the time he's been at the club. So putting him in, uh, and he really needs a minder, um, and E.G. Alderweireld, I would say, is the only one he can really play with. So to put him with the inexperienced Rodon, and also probably not play with that sort of defensive midfield or two of them um, protecting the um, the two the two dodgy centre-backs, whoever they are. So he took a big chance in that game and um, it just pays dividend, dividends. Spurs are an attacking team. Um, you start playing 4-2, you know, 3-1 and you're just putting the whole team on the back foot. Um, it puts it, it shows a lack of intent to the opposition and it might have worked, I think, up until December uh, when we're near top and... I think everyone was happy to, well, were prepared to uh, watch a pra pragmatic approach um, and less attacking approach. But once the wheels have fallen off the wagon, I think we really need to go back to the Spurs DNA of playing, you know, attacking high-pressing football and uh, and give the youngsters a chance. Because if there is is um, uh, disruption in the dressing room, it's not coming from the Tanganas and the Rodents. You know, they're going to play their heart out to stay uh, stay in that team. So... No, I agree. Impressive performances against the better teams. Who knows? It, 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 Aston Villa aren't the best team, but um, I think that's what the stage the season has got to now, um, where we start taking a few more chances, and it looks as though he has, um, and playing some of these younger players. I noticed had two 16-year-olds on the bench, Alfie Devine and Scarlett, so maybe he's now thinking, well, um, it's time to move on from some of these more disruptive players. We might go into who they might be later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Looks like you're looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, I, I I agree, and I think that's a yeah. It 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 felt there was something freeing about that lineup in the sense of yeah, just tr having a bit of trust in these younger players because it's like why would we bring them into the club if we're never going to play them? Yeah, like Rodan has just been sitting on the bench basically the whole season. Mm. Um, Tanganga has been someone who he's come on, he's played a few games like. He played a few big games. His first game, I think, was against Liverpool. Yeah, that's um, right. And he played well. And then he sort of disappeared. I know that he was injured for a while as well, but I feel like every Spurs fan has kind of been dying to see more of him. Mm. Um, and it just looked, even from the first 10, 15 minutes of this game, he just looked a lot more composed, I think, than Aurier or Doherty. Yeah, I, I agree. I think in the games he has played, he's looked like one of our best defenders. Um, and he's played big games. You know, um, and it's it's baffling to me, bar injury, that he hasn't had a, a more secure starting spot and given him, or given the chance to have a bit of a run. Yeah. yeah, and I think even in the Villa game, like there was there were just signs that, you know, he does have he might not be the the paciest player going around, but he's got enough pace to play that position. Also, there were a couple of little tussles he got in where he just out muscled. Um, some of the Villa players and kind of he tried to turn them and he maybe didn't get all the way around and he just shoved them out of the way yeah. <laughs> and sort of progressed the ball, gave it off nicely. Like it seems like he's a real um, 
real exciting player that we should be playing yeah. more often. Yeah, and I think uh, I think fullback, right back, is the place to be um, uh, bringing him into the team. I think in in the past they've actually tried him at centre back, and I think that's for uh, for an inexperienced player. And he's not particularly tall. I think at the moment that's a bridge too far. But I think given that you know there's clearly problems with both Aria and uh, and uh, Doherty. Or Doherty, <laughs> um, I don't think there's anything lost in in put, putting him in that right back position. No, I'd say you could put a, a piece of cheese on it right back, <laughs> and it would be doing a better job than Aaron Doherty at the yeah. moment. Um, there's be you know there's a lot of uh, it, it's weird with someone like Aria because like he has played some very good games in the past, but it's been a case where he's played maybe one good game out of ten, and the other nine haven't been just average. <laughs> They've been sloppy Mm. um and dynamo which we covered last last episode where he got caught out for pretty much all the goals yeah um it just kind of seems like all right aria just is not good enough to be playing at this level Mm -hmm. i just think he's an accident waiting to happen uh i'm when when the opposition are in the attacking third and they're going down that left wing i'm on the edge of my seat wondering what's aria going to do now is it going to be a silly nudge in the back for a penalty Mm. um He's, um, you know, I, 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 for the number of good games he plays, there's far too many bad, bad games and, and slip ups. Oh, that's right. The uh, the shoulder barge against Leicester, <laughs> just oh, before half time. Just before half time. Play running away yep. from the box. You know what? I'm just going to run through their back. Yep. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed Sanchez did one of those against Aston Villa, needlessly um, giving away a soft free kick and putting uh, again in the attacking third. And I just don't understand why players at that level. Um, can't see it's just you know that's that's sort of pub football sort of uh, mentality it's uh, it's not what you would expect for a prof- professional being paid that sort of money oh definitely yeah i'm yeah, he I, I just can't work out how he hasn't <laughs> developed into the player we thought he was going to be because you know center backs do that kind of thing where they they bump players uh you know off the ball and they do it they learn to do it in a way that the ref isn't going to go bang that's obviously a foul and Sanchez has seemingly never really worked that out. And he just gives fouls away so frequently in positions where they don't need to be. He must, uh, I don't know, he just panics. <laughs> yeah, it seems like, um, you know, you really have to have a pretty cool head to play in there. Um, and even the players who did get fired up in the past, like like you have to be very calm under pressure back yep. there because you make one little slip up and you, you kind of lose your... Lose your temper a little bit. You do something silly, um, mm. and it's just you know it's catastrophic <laughs> when you do make errors in there. Whereas if you're a forward, you know you can miss a chance or two and you can get away with it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in my uh, days playing at Melbourne Uni, which is this year, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't believe the difference between playing uh, even at the most amateur of levels in the back line, the focus required <laughs> to not stuff up versus. When you get stuck up forward because we're just—it's just preseason. Easy as. <laughs> it's because everyone's so unfit, so yeah. you can just—you just run. Um, we also had a, a goal from Kane in this game, uh, and I've seen a bit of backlash online about the fact that he uh, used a bit of gamemanship to dive. And my reaction, obviously, very one-eyed. It's so obviously a penalty to me. I can't believe that anyone would react in a way to say that he had dived there. But you know. What did you What did you think, Ellen? 
I think he they the player was late and clattered into him. Yeah, yeah, um, and basically took him out and made quite severe contact. Yeah, I, I, Lineker piped in and said it was uh, Kane was being unscrupulous, um, which I I think is complete nonsense. It was, ah, it, it's totally. a clear clear cut penalty. Clear cut penalty. Clear cut penalty. And was it clever from Kane? Yes, but it wasn't. I don't think it was manipulative in the fact that it wasn't actually a dive. It's like he went in and new contact was coming, mm. contact was made. It reminds me a little bit, although it's very different in some ways, but the I think it was in the 2006 World Cup, Australia against Italy, and I, I forget the Italian player, but they were coming down the wing, and I think it was maybe Lucas Neal. It was Lucas Neal. Who slid across, and he went way too early, yeah. and then the Italian player just knocked it past him and just ran through Lucas yeah. Neal's legs and then went down. And it was a penalty. And then there was this huge thing afterwards like, oh, there's Italian, he's dived. Oh, there's Italian, but he's dived, he's dived, he's dived. When it's like, he didn't dive. Like, Neil just slid and basically said, have a penalty. Run mm. into me, run over me. Have it. It, was, it was really poor defending to mm. leave that opportunity open for a player to sort of take. Mm. Um, and it seemed like Kane, like he just, he took the opportunity there mm. and... I think he went down as though he was trying to protect himself from a, a serious injury, um, which it could have been. Yeah. It also seems like as well in England there's a bit of – it's a bit weird. Like it seems like the English press, is, press are so savage anyway, but they seem particularly savage towards people like Harry Kane and rival fans as well um, of other Premier League teams. They hate Kane, even if they're English and then he plays for England – and then it might be a little bit pro-Kane. But there seems to be this real hatred for Harry Kane, which I don't really understand because he is an elite, elite, world-class, like top five player in the world. Why wouldn't you be proud of that? As... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why that occurs. I, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't happen here with our sportsmen so much, I, I don't think. Uh, maybe I'm <laughs> getting... Uh, but yeah, I, they just seem to want to eat him alive. Yeah, and it's um, it's like whenever Kane does anything, it's like he just he just gets attacked. Like when you know, um, I think it was against Brighton earlier in the season, and there was that free kick or on the edge of the box, or mm. um, and then it was suddenly is like Kane's doing this, Kane's doing that. I understand if you want to raise something and say that is possibly somewhat dangerous play. Maybe we should look at it, but it just becomes like Kane's a cheating scumbag. This, that, everything else, and you couldn't find a more professional footballer anywhere. No, I agree. Yeah, uh, it, to me, I mean, the penalty looked like Kane put the ball out and went. If you tackle me now, it's going to be a penalty. And then Cash was like, "Sure," and then just <laughs> dived straight <laughs> in on him. It was, it was, but it was bizarre. It takes two. Yeah. is what I'd say. It takes two. It definitely does. Um, and then Kane just, uh, I love his little run up that he does before, yeah, before he takes his penalties. Um, I think I was reading a piece on him a while ago and it was going into like how actually like he's so um, he practices penalties and that it's so much like it's down to a science how he takes them. Yeah. Compared to say someone like Fernandez, who I know also scores a lot of mm -hmm. also scores a lot of penalties um, where he kind of, you know, runs up, does his little jump, sees where the keeper's trying to go and then places it. But Kane knows exactly where he's going to put it. And it's just so rehearsed. All those steps, it's always the same amount of little steps that he takes. Yeah. Comes up, puts it away. Mm. Um, I just think there's not much better than just seeing Kane score. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love seeing him score penalties. It's like the perfect example of uh, like a 
sports, uh, peak sports psychology in the sense of the way that he prepares mm. to shoot. He takes two breaths and then he does the same amount of steps and he's already decided where it's going to go. And then I assume probably visualizes where it's heading. And he's so accurate. Like it, yeah, it precision works. is superb, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's phenomenal. You just have hundred percent confidence he's going to score a penalty every time. Yep. Okay, yeah. Dad. This might. I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but Harry Kane. Have Spurs ever had a better player? They've had a number of players that I. I it, it gets very difficult because then you've got to choose between strikers and midfield players and whatever. Uh, Harry Kane would be in my all-time Spurs eleven as a striker. Would be the striker. And I'd team him up with um, Jimmy Greaves. That would be my strike force. That'd be a nice, nice front line. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's you know the Spurs have always had a very, very, very good strikers. You know, we uh, if you were uh, choosing a, a Spurs eleven, uh, you struggle to get any world class uh, defenders. Ledley King is really the only one. Alderweireld probably as well, but over the uh, over the years, but. We've had so many really top-class strikers, you know, Lineker, Chivers, you know, you, I, I couldn't name another 10. Um, but I would, if I was choosing a Spurs 11 uh, from the 60s onwards, I'd, uh, Kane would be would be my striker yeah. along with Greaves. Would Bale get in that team? Okay, that's a very interesting point because uh, if, 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 if I was choosing a team, I'd be playing a, a basically a four-diamond four two. Um, and my strike force would be Greaves and um, and Kane. Um, my defensive midfield, midfield player would have to be Mackay, Dave Mackay, um, all-time great, um, a, a colossal defender but also could play. So he's uh, one of those players I've never seen. Like I yeah. just haven't seen footage. Yeah. Of, yeah well, he was, he was in the double team and he was also in the European Cup Winners Cup team. He also, when he left Spurs, he went on to captain Derby and Derby County won the the um, the title. Um, so, so a born leader, yeah, absolute born leader. Um, and then I you, I'd be including Hoddle on the on the right. Love that. Yep, yeah. and I would be including Gaza as uh, as the attacking midfield uh, player on the left. Uh, I think most Spurs fans would the contention would be Cliff Jones or Bale, and both Welsh is Cliff both Jones Welsh Wales, as well. Yeah. yeah, Cliff Jones played over I think four hundred games for Spurs, and as a winger he had a forty percent goal ratio. Hmm. So in every ten games he scored four, and he he played in both double teams, and he won the European Cup winners cup with Spurs. So between him and him and Bale, that's um, tough. That's a tough one to split. That is yeah. very tough, especially because it seems like. Peak Bale would 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 have been realistically at Madrid. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's weird. Like thinking of Bale when he played for us, you'd say then there's probably then a, a, a greater debate then if it's him or Jones. And the the only other contention would be Danny Blanchflower. It's very hard to. Um, uh, he was footballer of the year twice. He was the captain of the of the of the double team and the and the team that won the sixty one sixty two cup. Um, he was also captain of the um, obviously when Spurs in um, 61-62 got to the um, semi-final of the European Cup. Very unlucky to be knocked out by Benfica four three. Benfica at that time were probably the best team in Europe. They had the uh, 
the European Eusebio, uh, Pele and Eusebio. Um, so Danny Blanchfell was a very, a very good captain too. So um, it, it, it would Spurs fans going way back would would a lot of Spurs fans would have Danny Blanchfell in that team. So I would I'd be picking a thirteen and have both Bale and Blanchfell in there. But when you get to the defence, that's where the problems start, and that's where Spurs problems always are. We always buy really good attacking players. <laughs> and uh, you can think of all the great strikers, all the great midfield players, but how many really world-class defenders have we had in, in, since the 60s? Very, very few. It's like the, the defence is just an afterthought sometimes. Yes. Yep. We, oh, no, we, oh, no, we need to get left back in. Oh, we sold our right back. What do we do? Uh, panic, someone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And um, and that, and that, and that's the problem. I'd have I put Steve Perriman as right back um, because he was a great leader. Uh, most appearances ever for Spurs, eight hundred and fifty, captain the team through the Birkinshaw years, and uh, a true Tottenham player came through the youth team. Um, and um, at left back, I'd have Cyril Knowles. He's probably about the best left back that that they've had in those years. Ledley Kling is probably is it was a world class player, but obviously blighted by injuries. I think he in the in the twelve years or uh, or so that he played for Spurs, he averaged about twenty five games a season. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And um, and really, he could have been a a hundred cap player. And uh, so he he's definitely in there. And I get I guess then you're struggling for the second uh, uh, centre back. And uh, Jonathan Woodgate was a very good um, centre back, but he only played about I think sixty, seventy games, and in three or four years he was blighted by by injury. So Alderweireld probably would 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 get into that team. But it is an interesting um, uh, a discussion. Would Bale get into the into the Spurs team, say for for the last sixty years? You know, a lot of people would put him in. He probably deserves to be in. But I, I would say Cliff Jones is. Is, uh, has got to be mentioned equally. Yeah. It seems like one of those things that a lot of people who haven't seen, like if we, if Barney and I were to name our Spurs 11, I'm yeah. assuming we're not going to have players in Cliff Jones and, and in there purely because we just haven't seen enough of them play. Mm. Um, whereas, uh, you know, a lot of younger younger Spurs fans, would they'd be like, oh, Bale has to be clearly in there. Yeah. But when you look at it over the, the whole period of what mm. we're talking about, um, we're not really in a good enough position <laughs> to yeah. give our like all-time Spurs team. No way. Because um, it's really only from the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Mm, exactly. um, maybe a little bit more from like, you know, there's like like Hoddle. There's so much like footage of Hoddle mm. um, and how wonderful he was and, you know, plays like Klinsman and all that sort of So some of those sort of things. But, yes, these older plays in the 60s, we just didn't get to really see too much of them. So No, that's all there. I wonder how close does uh, Jan Vertonghen get to that uh, – all time eleven because I've always fancied him as a very very good centre back. Um, and peak peak Vertonghen. Peak peak, peak Vertonghen. Vertonghen here. Yeah, I know. I, I think I think he with Alderweireld would be the 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 other candidate for the uh, for the centre back position. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I know. I, I, you you can't overlook uh, Jan. I yeah. think, especially in the earlier years, he, he was he, he was phenomenal, so cool, mm. and 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 a good passer of the ball. Well, I think and, that last and, season before, well, like last season when we were at the lane, I think they conceded like the like the lowest goals in the league, or they conceded no goals at home, or something. It was some yeah. some stat like that when it was like peak Yarn and Toby in there, and those bursts out of defence, and even playing left back, he, 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 
he, he played very serviceably at yeah. at, le- at left back. So I agree. Uh, the Tongans got to be uh, got to be included. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I miss him. I miss him too. Like <laughs> yeah. I found that quite emotional at the end of the Spurs documentary, just seeing Jan leave. Mm. Because you could also kind of tell like he didn't really want to leave. Like he still had a couple of years left of football in him. Definitely wasn't at the level that Spurs needed. But it was just sad to see someone like that leave who, you know, had been with us for I think about eight seasons or so. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just sad to see players decline when their body just starts breaking down. Yeah. Because um, when, they're, when they're good and when they're playing really well, it's like, you know, they're like superheroes running around. Mm. Um, yeah. But then to see them kind of, you know, be reminded of their mortality and see them, you know, starting to slow down a lot and not being able to catch other players and um, and make mistakes that they never would have in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's an emotional thing to say. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, we've got that a bit at the moment with Toby. You're seeing he's got that. He's got the hunch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and he's, he's not catching uh, players like he might have, you know, two or three years ago. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> sometimes I'm pleased when he doesn't play because I want to retain the image that I have of him in my mind. Yeah, no, no, yeah. that's not Toby. That's yeah. not the Toby yeah, we that's know. That's not the Toby. That's not him. What about oh, um, the goalkeeper? How does so I'm assuming Hugo is not going to be in that starting starting eleven. No, it, it, there's only one goalkeeper in that period that you would put in goal because he stands out a mile. Jennings, uh, Pat Jennings. Nice. Also, uh, equally Arsenal legend Pat Jennings as well. Well, Spurs went through all you know through those good teams. Didn't handle the retirement or the moving on of players that well. You know they. They messed up uh, Jimmy Greaves' exit, and um, they certainly messed up uh, Pat Jennings' exit because they, they in their wisdom, thought he was coming to the end of his career, and he went across the road, and he, I think he played seven years for, for 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 the mob down the road, and he, he won lots of trophies. <laughs> so clearly, it was premature him leaving the club. He did come back and become the goalkeeping coach and he's now in the hospitality team. So he spurs, spurs and through and through and you just wonder what he felt. You know, he's the, he's got eight years' career left in him playing at top level and Spurs are basically pensioning him off to their arch rival. So um, it's <laughs> that wasn't a very, uh, a very good exit. So would you say in a sense, like, because at the moment now there's a lot of talk everywhere of Enik out, Levy, what's Levy done to this club? Oh, mm. right. And it's like there's a lot of angry fans about that. Jose out, Enik out, Levy out, everyone out. Um, but it sounds like traditionally Spurs have not been a team that has necessarily been managed from like an administrative perspective terribly well. Is that fair? Um, As in all, like because there's a lot of criticism on Levy, like not investing in the squad, hmm. doing all this sort of stuff. But, I mean, it doesn't feel like we were coming from a place before then where the club was like extremely diligently managed constantly. That's- that's absolutely right. So the history of Spurs, without going delving too deep, <laughs> is that um, right up until um, right up until the well into the sixties, um, there was two families: the Beerman family and the Whale family, that were the chair people, and they, and they held most of the um, most of the shares and held direct. I think Beerman was um, on the board for fifty five years. Oh wow. Um, then he handed over to um, if there was Sid and Fred Whale, their father and son. Um, so that was it was managed really as 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 family club, and that was really I think the problem for Spurs was the 
you know, um, it Spurs really came to the fore. Um, they won the their first division title in 1950-51. And then Arthur O came along and he really invented the modern game, uh, the push and run game, which is basically playing possession football, playing uh, one-two passes, using wall passes to get past uh, your, your, your opposition and moving into space. Um, and then Bill Nicholson came along, um, who was an ex-player, and he... Um, he he clearly managed the most successful uh, period um, in Spurs history. You know, he won the league once. He won three FA Cups. Um, he won um, the European Cup Winners' Cup um, his, and he's won the UEFA Cup um, and so on. So, um, and what happened was in the early or mid-60s, you suddenly had the re-emergence of Manchester United because they were very good also in the 50s, but then they had the Munich disaster. The famous mm, Busby Babes, yeah. and uh, and they gradually re- redeveloped. And obviously, was it sixty five? They won the the European Cup, and that was the George Best, Bobby Charlton era. Liverpool resur- uh, came into a resurgence. Uh, you then had the emergence of Leeds. Um, Everton, interestingly enough, were quite strong in those that period as well. But Spurs sort of never really invested to sort of you know stay stay in the top one or two. Um, and then slowly we sort of drifted down, um, and then uh, Nicholson left. Uh, Terry Neal came in, which was a very interesting appointment because he was ex-Arsenal. And then we had the Birkinshaw years, the first year that Birkinshaw took over. Um, I suppose were relegated into the second division, right. um, <laughs> and we came up the the. The, and I was uh, going to quite a few matches in that year, and we came up in the um, in the following season, but we certainly made hard work of it, and we ended up become, coming uh, getting back as third. That doesn't sound like Spurs to make hard work of something. No, <laughs> yeah. no. That's, no. I don't know. That doesn't uh. sound doesn't sound like Tottenham to me. No. Um, and I guess we invested in players that really um, more sort of orientated winning cups. It was really attacking players, uh, but again. We had a fairly solid defence. Um, there was Robertson, Miller were at the back, but they weren't international players. And then we had the real turmoil of uh, 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 this, the club really was going broke and Irvin Scholar took over. And um, and that was a tumultuous period as well. Um, he sort of got involved in other things, Hummel, um, sportswear and so forth. And... And the club was sort of sort of going broke again, and then um, Alan Sugar got involved with Terry Venables, um, and uh, there ended up acrimony there. Um, so you could say all those periods, um, you, you you the the club from a, a director chairman point of view was not uh, managed particularly well, and um, Enic came in, and um, I think they. They, were, they bought Sugar's shares um, for 22 million and then I think a further 25 million. So they bought Spurs roughly for about 50 million. Um, they then went through a series of share issues and ended up with 85% of the club. So the, the precedence wasn't, isn't that particularly good for Spurs being well managed at a board level. Not, yeah. a, not, not at all. And um, of course, Enic have come in, and it's a—it's basically a—it's—it's it's a business, and it's an investment. And um, 
and that's sort of been their their priority aspiration basically to get the best possible return out of that investment i've heard that they're saying the club's now worth about two billion but i don't know if that includes the net debt for the um for the stadium and so forth so you can see their objective um and they obviously want success on the pitch um but um the problem now for spurs of, of course is we we can't we, we we can't have it all we can't we can't have the best training ground. We can't have the best stadium. And we can't compete at all on a transfer or a wages basis for the, for, for the, for the best players. Yeah. Whereas uh, the long-suffering fans, all we want to win is a few more trophies and, <laughs> and at least start the season and have a feeling that we can really challenge for the, you know, those top one or two, mm. certainly be in the top four. Um, and of course, Pochettino came along and and probably massively overachieved. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, so you can see the frustration from the fans, but I guess you can also see Enix's perspective. You know, they they're not going to start throwing ridiculous money on transfers and wages, um, and you know maybe end up in a Leeds United situation where the club nearly goes go overextends and gets broke again. So. You know, and they're they're competing against uh, rich Russian oligarchs and uh, uh, Saudi oil hobby money. So, <laughs> oh, definitely, that's, like, that's the dilemma. Like, and if you look at it like that, like teams like Chelsea, teams like City, like all their money, it hasn't come from them building up their clubs nope. and then investing, <laughs> <laughs> and then investing into players once they've already built them up. So, I think sometimes it feels like we as fans, we can get a bit sucked in and think. Um, okay, now we have a new stadium. Now we have a new training ground. Mm. Now let's start matching the spend that City, Chelsea, um, and clubs like that, PSG, all these clubs, um, everything they're spending. But their money isn't coming in from like the club, you know, building up a long-term profitable um, scenario. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of those clubs gets their money by their owners owning the airline to which sponsors their shirts and therefore they can put money in that way. Allegedly. 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 Yeah. Oh, how much is the shirt sponsorship this year? Yeah. Oh, oh, 100 million yeah. pounds. Yeah. That's the market rate. Yeah, that's. Uh, they really wanted it. They really wanted it. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think you're so right about, you know, uh, Enoch and what they – what they want to, you can see what their intention is in a sense of, you know, building the assets and uh, improving the value to get the biggest return on their investment. And I, I wonder with the stadium, one of the ways that was sold to the fans was that we need a bigger stadium because the ticket revenues that we earn from that will then go into investing in players and we'll be able to compete uh, in the transfer market. And unfortunately, you know, we haven't been able to fill that stadium um, so I wonder when we can and when the the club starts to make, you know, obviously they do have a debt they need to pay off. But once we do start making money of that stadium, will that money then actually go into buying players or will it, it just become club profit? <laughs> it feels like I feel like the club might be sold by then. You think? I think so because I think Joe Lewis is, he's in his 80s now. He's old. I think he's. He's old. He is. Um, and he's young in yacht years. <laughs> <laughs> There's a different timeline out there. Different, different. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Maybe he's got some sort of serum that's going to keep him alive to 150. 
um, and they'll keep holding on to the club. Mm. But <laughs> it seems to me like all of this, like the brand building stuff that you were talking about, they've been doing this for years, especially really to try and crack into the American market a lot because we started mm. buying American players. We started getting like your Clint Dempsey's, your Brad Friedel's. Yedlin. Yedlin as, mm. as well. Carter Vickers. Yep. Um, we started getting those American players in. We started then doing all these preseason trips to the States. Um, we also then have had more commercial deals come through the States, such as like the NFL deal, um, Amazon uh, taking on that. You know, a lot of rumors about the stadium being called the Amazon Arena or something like that once the naming rights actually get sorted. Mm-hmm. So you can really kind of see that, um, and especially with the stadium, owning the stadium so that they can sell it for other events like heavyweight boxing fights, uh, you know, like Rolling Stones tours, like all this sort of thing. <laughs> Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. <laughs> so you can see that like there is that plan from them to really build this up, build up the brand more and more and more, especially in into the American market. Um, and I guess that's why they've been putting all their money and all their sort of attention into that. But then maybe just letting, leaving things that are happening on the field behind a little bit. And maybe the club was hoping that Pochettino would be able to overachieve even more than what he did without needing that extra investment, which now we look back on and it was clearly um, incorrect. We clearly needed to invest more Mm. if we wanted to win something at that stage. And And we got really lucky with Champions League. And that's the the, the issue with Spurs following all the years, and I'm sure you will will agree. It's... uh, we're always in that position where we're just two or three players short of greatness. Yeah, <laughs> it's just always just two. It's that centre back we need. It's you know maybe that defensive mid or the second striker, um, and the 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 money's never going to be forthcoming under 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 Enik. I, I I can't see that. But then again, you know, I always think after following Spurs and going through this self-infliction and and and, <laughs> and, and rocky ride for so long, do I really want to support a team where, you know, uh, um, uh, which is run on the basis of Chelsea or Manchester City? Mm. I might for one or two seasons. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'm thinking, you know, is this really bona fide? Is this really, mm. you know, is this really a fair league? Is mm. this a, is this a fair contest? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I think the, well, I assume that all the Man City and Chelsea fans' title victories feel hollow. (laughs) (laughs) No, they don't seem to tell you that. Um, Yeah, they they feel it. They seem to give up a different opinion. Yeah, they feel it. But I agree. I feel like, I hope they go home and they cry themselves to sleep at night because it just feels, just feels dirty. Yeah. I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Um. On the appointment of uh, Jose Mourinho, obviously that has been uh, contentious and the results have been all over the place. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, How have you responded to him? What do you think of him? And um, would you be happy if at the end of the season we we said, well, Daniel Levy said bye-bye and we brought someone else in? Okay, I I think uh, when the appointment was made, um, I thought, well, okay... um, Let's let's just see how this rides, um, and of course, it up until what late November, December, we were top of the league. Things were, you know, and I think most fans would say, okay, well, the sacrifice of playing a more pragmatic style of football, this sort of um, going in for a game which is not 
part of Spurs' DNA. It's all very defensive. It's re relying on counter-attack. It's trying to absorb pressure from teams we really should be attacking. Okay, we go along with that if there's a rainbow at the end and, um, and, 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 and maybe a couple of trophies. Well, one by one, those trophies seem to be di disappearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what are we going to be left with? Um, it's like we made the deal with the devil and we've come back to try and collect on that deal yeah, and the devil's not in. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, so yeah. I, I would think that, like, here we play the roller coaster ride again because I look at the table and I think we're only three points away from fourth. Yeah. And... Uh, is this another false dawn or mm. a, 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 a false hope? And we always get it's just that one game we get to, and um, we'll put the, the three games we we put a good run, and then suddenly the wheels fall off the wagon again. Exactly. Um, and I've I sort of fear that 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 will be the case. In which case, I think we're in for a quite a serious rebuild. Mm. Um, and without Marina. <laughs> I feel like Marina is not the type of manager who wants to hang around for a rebuild no. at this stage in his career. No. Um, like it just doesn't seem like something he'd be that interested in. Yeah, well, it's not doing. really something he's done either, is it? You know, because he's only at a club for two and a half, three years and then he's off, <laughs> you know, wherever else, um, selling watches for a bit and then he's into another club. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Maybe the, I mean, the rebuild that Pochettino talked about in his, was it his last year or his second last year when he said they, were, they needed a painful rebuild has, I mean, we did a bit of business in the, uh, in the summer and what, two of those signings? Three, if we count Vinicius, uh, Hoibier and Reguillon are all um, players that, you know, look good for the future. Well, it kind of feels. I, I think I don't know what what you think about this, but out of all the players that we've signed recently, mm. um, Indombele and Lacelso, I think there are players there. Oh yeah, yeah, there yeah, are yeah. serious players there. Um, I don't think we've seen their full potential by any stretch, mm -hmm. but I think they're good buys, even though they're still you know they're expensive. Um, I think if they mature and and stay with us another you know couple of seasons at least, um, like you see the leaps and bounds that Indombele has come on this season. Yeah, like he's yeah. just. He's just different class. Mm. Um, the stuff he does, and in that um, Villa game, um, he did he did a lot of really nice turns and passes and all that. But there's that one point where he, he comes to sort of collect the ball, does a little like double touch around one player, then around another player, and then a little sort of half roulette spin out of it, and then just plays it into Vinicius. Mm. Um, and it's like that sort of player is like a generational talent. Yeah, it's just if. Will he fulfill the potential that he clearly has? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. He's phenomenal. Or will uh, you know PSG come knocking on the door? That that there will be an issue. I, I agree, and I think he he probably needs one more season in the Premier League, um, and then I think he's a serious upgrade to Musa Dembele. And I really liked Musa Dembele. Yeah, you know that strong, really probably box to box. Um, um, midfielder, very strong to knock off the ball, can go both ways. Um, and he probably score, score more goals than Dembele. Dembele never really had an end product. He could sort of get the ball up there, yeah. but he just couldn't quite get it in the net. But um, I remember it was really, an event when he scored. It yeah. was a real sort yeah. of like Dembele scored. Yeah. Yeah. Which is bizarre because I think he started his career as a striker. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. He did. 
I, when they bought him, I, you were thinking more of a Steve, Steven Gerrard player who would, um, or a Frank Lampard type player who, yeah. who had all the uh, midfield skills, could play defensive, could break through, mm. um, but also maybe score your 10 goals a season. Yeah. Um, but I, I think Dombele could emerge to be that sort of player. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I just think he's fantastic. And yeah, you're right. He's got that, he's got that uh, finish on him, yeah. which we've seen. I mean, this year he might win. The Puskas Award for that ridiculous, uh, what was it? Outside of the foot, <laughs> oh, little chip. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, that was crazy. That yeah. was insane. Mm. Um, I think he's got to man up a little bit. I think he goes down. He's a bit soft. He goes down <laughs> a bit too easily and rolling around a bit. But that's you know, it's probably um, a European trait that's just got to be removed from his game. He's got to toughen <laughs> up for the Premier League. But uh, he certainly made big inroads this year compared to the first season. There's no reason why. You know he can't improve at that level again to become a really, a real top quality midfield player. I do, and it just seems like, um, and again, like not in an anti-European context, but it's just in a lot of the other European leagues, you do get fouls given against you for a lot less. Yeah. So it seems like you know it's like Regulon's another one who. Do you see how he went down when I think someone? Then he went off, so I don't know if he's actually done a serious injury there. But he went down and he was screaming for someone like sort of stamping on his foot. Um, and it seems like, you know, games I've watched from like La Liga and, and sort of other European leagues is like the, the refs are, they do award a lot more based on sort of less happening and more about the show of like the, uh, the challenge. Whereas I think there is that thing for the Premier League of like, you know, oh, you've got to be tough, you've got to stay up, you've got to, you've got to do that. Um, so it is definitely a much more like, put this, a player like Lee Catamol is not lasting like a season in Spain. No, <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's not. And I think another, um, if we're looking at Spurs generally, I'd, I'd put it to you two. I, I, um, I, I think uh, we've already sort of discussed the lack of real quality uh, defenders that we've we've signed over the years. I, I just think we always lack one or two leaders. Mm. Um, and the issue I have at the moment, I think Harry Kane is an actual leader. I'm not so sure about Lloris. I think he gets that by default that he's won the World Cup and he's a French captain. Um, in principle, I don't like the idea of a goalkeeper or a striker to be a captain. I think a captain's got to be an extension of the manager on the pitch and a striker can't really communicate that well with the defence. The goalkeeper can't with the attack. So to me, the ideal captain, and if you look historically, you know that it's a centre-back or a defensive midfield player. Mm. Um and we and and the really successful teams, you know, I'd hate to mention these sort of players, you know, the Tony Adams with uh, Patrick Vieira, um, John Terry, Lampard. That besides a really strong cat, Roy Keane, etc. Uh, there's always one or two players in the team that you think if if he's not playing, they can equally step up, step up. Yeah. But we never really seem to have that strong, st- strong. Uh, captain who's really an extension of the manager and we'll get to the dressing room and and sort out the slackers mm. <laughs> uh, and, and 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 sort out the issues on the pitch on the yeah. run yeah yeah what do you think of someone like and I'm not saying necessarily necessarily saying that he's the answer but someone like Hoybier yes <laughs> yeah. and I, I know he, he's, he's only been in the club for a yeah. season and he's still relatively young mm. but that sort of player is he someone that could slip into that role I mean, I like am so biased here because I'm a huge fan of Hoybier. Um, 
I think he's fantastic and I love the way he communicates on the pitch. Um, to, you know, from watching, he seems like a, a natural leader. But, yeah, I mean, he's only been at the club for a, for a, you know, not even a year. But to me, he seems to sort of have the qualities. Uh, what do you think? Well, I think so. And I think he may be holding back a bit. He doesn't want to overex- overextend his welcome yeah. in the yeah. dressing room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think after one season, he'll think that, okay, he can start stepping up and um, and um, impressing some authority. Mm. Because he seems to, he's come to Spurs, I think, to win things. And uh, he's not going to hang around if... Uh, if he's surrounded by, you know, poor attitude or, or slackers. So, no, I agree. I think he's he's potentially an heir apparent yeah. because when you go through that team, who else is there? Who who you, who you would who would you nominate as a – and this is always the problem with Spurs. Mm. Who are, who do you think are natural leaders in that, in that team? Or <laughs> uh, well, Kane, like you said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Can you think of anyone, Dan? No, it's really I think Kane is the one that stands out. Yeah. Um but then like you said, like having a captain as a forward, like they're very much leaving leading by example, but it's very difficult for them to also grab everyone by the scruff of the neck mm. during the game. Um whereas you have someone more in that holding midfield position, they can um they can amp up the defense. They yeah. can exert authority on the midfield and the forwards. They're mm. in a very sort of central position to really shout and um, go nuts when they need to and really command everyone's attention on the pitch. Whereas Kane is, you know, he's um, he's obviously a leader to some extent, mm. but whether he is the ideal captain. Um, he, you know, he, he maybe he's it. the he's the club captain. But see, see the other issue, I guess, is, guess too, is in going back to my uh, goalkeeper and uh, striker theory that shouldn't be captains, is that if there are two positions on the pitch that you want 100% focus on what you're doing, it's got to be the goalkeeper and the person who puts the ball in the back of the net. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Uh, you, those players need to be worrying about their own game. Mm. Yeah. They shouldn't have to have the burden of, okay, worrying about what the others are doing. Mm. Um, well, especially, I mean, look, if you get someone like Hoybier who, you know, main role is in there is to recover the ball, then give it off to... Someone more talented at bringing it forward, like Ndombele. Yeah. Um, I mean, their role in their role is crucial, but defensively, when we are defending, they're shouting at everyone. They're organizing defense. They're getting everyone to keep their shape. Yes. They win back the ball and they give it off straight away. Then it's very easy for them to still keep shouting at everyone mm-hmm. and really, con- you know, trying to control the team a little bit more. Whereas if you're a Kane, like especially Kane now, where he is just he does what he wants. He goes wherever he wants and I love it. Like I love Kane dropping deep mm. and just pops up like, you know, um, pops up in our like defensive half and just finds a long ball forward. Or you get those um, other other times where you see Kane's clearing something off the line or he's clearing a header from a corner. Like I love that Kane just has a basically a free pass to like, you know, buddy, do whatever you want. You know, just do whatever you want. We know that you want to win. So I, we don't have to worry about what, what you do. We know you're going to do something good. Um, but then again, it's it's a little bit like maybe in some ways it's good if he's everywhere because then he can <laughs> shout at people as he runs past them. Um, but I do think he's so central to how we play and the ball going through him. And like what you're saying is he's got he needs to have so much focus in an attacking sense that it's better to have that role given to someone else 
um, who doesn't have that burden on them. And also, uh, you know, a, 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 a centre back or a midfield player who have got the best view of the game, they can see exactly what's happening with the game. But it's interesting with Kane. Maybe Kane needs to run around with a notebook and hand players like Aria a note every every ten or fifteen minutes. <laughs> lift, lift, how about lifting your game, or how about marking your winger? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, and yeah, it, it seems like we. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Hugo because he's been club captain for what five six years or so. Well, I know he's been in the club about eight, eight, nine years or something. Yeah, it's like longer that, than you probably think. Uh, yeah, and yeah. it seems like he's not going to get stripped of the captaincy until he leaves, mm. um, because he's like he's had really bad, like really bad patches of form, and even like seasons long, yeah, um, sort of drops. But then, you know, he's still obviously, you know, if a player starts playing badly, you're not just going to strip them of the captaincy. Yeah, uh, but it kind of seems like he'll have to leave for that to happen, and you just wonder. With Hugo, I mean, he's won a World Cup. Um, so he's got the, a major trophy in his yeah. trophy cabinet. Mm-hmm. He's won a World Cup where he was captain. Mm. So it's interesting to see what his drive and desire actually is if he wants to leave and try and win something somewhere else. Or if he's kind of content where he's like, you know what, I won a World Cup. That's pretty good. Yeah, That's about the best thing you can win as a player. So I don't mind if I hang around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he's going to go to PSG, I think. He'll yeah. want to reunite with Poch and then play his last couple of years at a French club. That's my, but you know, equally maybe he's like, eh. <laughs> let's see what happens. I yeah. mean, that could very well happen. It could mm. be like you know the PSG links there. It could result in him going there, and then it'll be an interesting thing to see who actually is the captain mm. um, from that. Yeah, yeah. Hugo was um, signed by AVB, so you go. There You're you going go. back to 2012? Uh, 2012, 13. Right. Okay. So almost 10 years. Is that nine? Yeah. Maybe like yeah. almost, yeah, yeah, eight, nine years or so. Yeah. So. Bloody hell. Yeah. It, it's interesting though, I guess. And, um, you know, with, with what we've seen with the Villa game, and it is only one game. Yep. Uh, like we talked about, you know, a lot of these um, sort of older players, no leaders, all that sort of stuff. Um you know, it would be great, I think, for the rest of the season if we do see some of these younger players come through. Yeah. Um, and there's still – it feels like we could still have a bit of a base for an exciting team if they take off in the way that we're hoping. Mm. Mm-hmm. If they don't, then there's some, some serious issues. Yeah. But if they all turn out to be like young prodigies. Yeah. As they're being touted to yeah. be. <laughs> yeah. Then maybe it's not too bad. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. Um, yeah, we've I mean, we've, we've right. been down that road before as well with John Bostock and J- Jonathan Blondell and um, Zeki Fryers, <laughs> all these young 18, 19 year old prodigies. They get to twenty twenty one and they um, they end up playing amateur football. So um, yeah, maybe this will be different. But uh, uh, certainly, uh, there's um, uh, uh, Alfie Devine and uh, Scarlett seem to be making a massive impression. So mm. um, yeah, I saw um, a match report for. I don't know if it was 21s or that Alfie Devine played and he, I think he scored, it was like he scored a hat-trick and then he assisted the other goal. Uh, he just looks like he's way too good for the level he's playing at. So hopefully he uh, makes that jump. 
Well, I think to to be on the bench uh, for a Premier League game at sixteen is uh, yeah. you've, got, you've got to be something special. Yeah, that's one true. would think. Yeah. Well, and I would also think you need to be able to handle yourself to an extent. Um, mm. um, Marino's not going to put someone on who can be you know easily kicked off the park by uh, by uh, unscrupulous. Yes, <laughs> 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 I was going to mention that on the point of like the the sixteen year olds on the bench. Do you remember there was that forward that Harry Redknapp brought on for one game and he was super young. He would have been 16, 17, at maybe 18, something like that. And he was like a young striker. He came off the bench. He played about 15, 20 minutes. Uh, didn't almost score, like didn't quite get that, but like I think he had a shot and the crowd was like, yeah, woo. Uh, and then we never heard of him ever again. <laughs> he never made another squad, never played again and disappeared. Um, so I get quite excited about young players because I think that there's something, the whole, you know, one of your own, someone coming through the academy. Mm. Um, and I guess we've had some players in the past, like Townsend was someone who came up through the academy and I think every Spurs fan wanted him to really succeed and Ooh, take yeah. off. Yeah. Um, but then wasn't quite good enough. Mm. Um, and they've been sort of, you know, a bunch of other players like that. Uh, Pritchard. Well. Um, yeah, Pritchard. Yeah. And um, Tom Carroll. Yeah. Tom Carroll, Carroll. Uh, yeah. Ryan Mason as well. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Mm. We sold him on because he didn't quite make it. Um, yeah, under Pochettino. Mm. Oh, here's what. What about then? Um, Oliver Skip is getting a lot of rave reviews for Norwich in the Championship, and I think you know to be a young 19, 19 year old, eighteen, nineteen. I think he's he's yeah. eighteen, nineteen. Um, like he couldn't be older than twenty, surely. Um, but to be getting these rave reviews, playing in like you know central midfield in the Championship, um. Who knows? Like, can yeah. he make the step up? We don't really know. But I think that's an exciting play to have back next season. Very exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited yeah. to see how he goes. Yeah, he looks great. I mean, I've been watching the Norwich highlights and he... <laughs> I wonder how many, like, uh, if Norwich had, like, statistics and analytics on yeah. how many Spurs fans are tuning into their highlights <laughs> yeah. now just to, watch, just to see how Skip's going. Yeah, well, I mean... He wins player of the game pretty much every single week because all the Spurs fans vote for him on yeah. their social media. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah. That would explain it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I think are we. Yeah, you I got think, anything else you want to? I think. Look, it's been. Um, you know, we had a, last week was a very rough week for Spurs fans. Um, having said that, though, if you actually look at our form, we're like the the best, or even I think maybe City won again, so we're second best. But we're up the top with I think five league wins out of the last six games. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. not all bad. It just <laughs> happens to be that the game we had to lose was a North London derby yep. and then we had to go out of Europe in a really emphatic fashion. Yep. <laughs> but if you zoom out a little bit and look at where we are, you know, there's still eight, nine games left of the season and, you know, I think it's nice to, you know, be as positive as you can and have some hope going into it because otherwise, like, you know, you just watch the games and you get more depressed. Yeah. Um, I think that there's it's really interesting this season that, um, you know, the league that teams are dropping points. And teams continue to drop points all around us. So, um, you know, it's nice that we are still competing for fourth. Mm -hmm. It gives us something to aim for, even if it's not likely to happen. It gives us something to aim for. That's true. And especially some of these younger players that we're playing now, it really, it means that they're not just coming in in just dead rubber games that we're not caring about. They're actually coming in to try and prove themselves when there is something still at stake. Yeah, to con so, contribute to the season. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's like a nice place to be, and I, I'd love to see us keep playing. You know, some of these younger players, 
Um, and you know, see how the rest of the season goes. See mm. what see what we can do. Uh, and hopefully, with a couple of games left, we're still in the mix, and you know, see what happens. I yeah. totally agree. And let, let's play. You know, press higher. Let uh, Mora loose. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he is a little energizer bunny. He He's, sure is. His yeah. energy is incredible. Yeah, he really um, lifts the tempo of yeah. the team. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if we're going back to you know disruption in the dressing room, Moore is an honest player. I think he's he's not part of this uh, dis- disruptive team, which we never really quite got to, did we? Mm-hmm. We didn't really uh, uh, have any theories on who those culprits would be. Oh, I think we can quickly sound yeah, off on I them. Yeah, we can definitely sound off on them. Um, okay, I'm going to guess um, Harry Winks. <laughs> Which, no, obviously not. He looks like the nicest person in the history of the world. I think uh, that's what you've said about him before. You're like, horrible player, but a lovely boy. Yeah, I can't <laughs> I can't get past what a lovely guy he seems to be. But also he could be a bit disruptive now because possibly purely because he would have he's been into the team. It looked like... You know, against Madrid a few seasons ago in Champions League, he had an amazing game against them with like and uh, with Dembele in there as well. Mm. So he's it's almost like he's broken into the team, but now he's broken out of the team. Yeah. So I could see him being someone who's like, give me some game time or I'm going. Well, mm. the, I think the other thing you we, we in this modern era we have to work out or, or, or realize where the disruption comes because it's not only the player, it's the agent. Yeah. Um, Which and- Mourinho has been saying, I think, in the last day or two, hasn't he? I think he's been yes. quoted as saying. There's been disruption from agents yes. and this sort of stuff. So it may not be Winks himself, but his agent may well be. I know uh, over Christmas there was uh, the rumor was he was pressing for a move to uh, to Spain. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, he has got some Spanish heritage, and and probably if you think the way he plays, his game probably is more suited to mm. a ticky tacky go square, mm. get the ball, short pass um, uh, sort of game that they play in Spain. It's certainly it's not suited for Spurs in the Premier League. That's very true. I, I, I on and on. I also just love the first person that we brought up was Winks. It's like yeah. the, the most disruptive player in the squad is probably Winks. Yeah. No, I think honestly, though, I do think Bergvine. That's one of my. I think that he uh, has had a frustrating season. Um, I just based off pretty much nothing, but I just believe that he would surely be getting quite frustrated at this point. Um, I think Dyer has become disgruntled. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because he. Um, his expectation was that he'd become the number one centre back yep. to lead the pack, mm. and uh, he's well. He's... He probably thought he was maybe the next captain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's fallen for great. If you consider early Pochettino days, he was playing defensive mid for England, and when they were talking about Kane being captain, he was one of the other possibilities. So yeah, that's true. He's fallen from uh, well, he's fallen a long way from those days. So. And I would, you'd imagine uh, uh, Deli Ali would be another one, and uh, El, Ali and Diet Dyer are obviously very pally. Mm. Um, so, are there any other candidates? No, I kind of think like Deli is an interesting one because you know he's been very quiet about it all, but also I think footballers now um, a lot of them are a lot more aware of how much attention they cause and they bring, and also when they are looking for moves elsewhere. If they start talking too much, suddenly then that starts going off for other teams of going like, okay, is this a troublesome player? We don't want a player that's that outspoken to mm. buy. But you could definitely see someone like Ali's manager just going, what is happening here? A couple of seasons ago, this was like one of the hottest young players in the world. Mm. And now he's not getting anywhere near the team and it's dropped right off. So you would imagine that would be the case. 
I would hazard maybe guess it like Sissoko because, you know, he's supposed to be a big influence in the dressing room um, mm. from that scene of All or Nothing where Mourinho is so surprised at that. <laughs> yeah. But as, as a Sissoko, like Sissoko could also just be wonderful. So but we're just guessing here. But he's also someone who's really fallen down the pecking order in terms of he's for a couple of seasons there, you know, I think he was player of the season one season and he was nailed on mm. for like starting in that central midfield. Yep. Hoiberg's come in, he's out. Mm. So could Sissoko be one that is, you know, kind of in that bracket as well? I'd imagine maybe Aurea is in that bracket. Yep. Um, and apart from that, I don't know how many other players there are. And this is always an interesting thing. When a manager comes out and says something like this uh, without any clarity or details, it just gets you thinking because you're like, is there one player who's causing trouble? Mm. Are there 10 players who are causing trouble? And you but- don't really know. Well, some of the comments have been the dressing room is divided. So therefore, from that point of view, you're thinking there's a rump of players. It's not just the odd one, two or three. Mm. Maybe we'll it's say- Danny Rose who's still just <laughs> yeah. like in the reserves and he's yeah. texting everyone and trying to like build up a mutiny. Mm. From yeah. Well, I, I hope if there is a group and they are, like Laurie said, it was it was fringe players that were causing issues. Like yeah. I, when, when Poch came in, there was the there was the Kabul Cabal where he kicked was yes. Kabul Kapu um, who else was there? Adebayor. Uh, yes, he, yeah, yeah, Adebayor. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lab. Oh, Lennon as well. Yeah, oh, Lennon, as Lennon well, yeah. was yeah. part of that little gang. Yeah, yeah, and he said you can all go train with the twenty threes yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and I think Kane got very vocal at that time, and he was only a junior member of the dressing room, but um, as in Kane very, was unhappy, wasn't unhappy he? with the. Uh, with what these senior players were, uh, how they were disrupting. So, oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, look, I wonder who the game. Like, you can pretty much rule out. Um, you can pretty much rule out. Uh, you know, Lucas, mm-hmm. um, Tangana, Rodon, Tangana, Rodon, <laughs> yeah. Vinicius. Anyone who played against Villa, <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can rule out. You can yeah. rule them out because yeah. if the club captain comes out and goes, oh, the dr- dressing room's divided, some fringe players aren't putting in, mm. Mourinho's like, well, oh, there's some problems with some players. Uh, here's a team sheet for today. Yeah. Uh, and there's a whole <laughs> slew of changes. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay, the players who are in, they're probably not going to be the disruptive ones, especially if Mourinho's got two 16-year-olds on the bench <laughs> yeah. Yeah. as well. Yeah, well, so, yeah. yeah. So team selection becomes very interesting, doesn't it? For, yeah, that's for true. The next game. That's very true. Well, I mean, yeah, on that, Doherty didn't even make the bench uh, and neither did Winks. So what I'm saying is Winks is the bench. <laughs> <He's there. laughs> uh, totally. Yeah, look, it's all Winks. Imagine if Winks is the like the ringleader of all this. <laughs> oh, I, I just would be hilarious. It would be so <laughs> funny. Yeah. Like all the conversations, this is where I wish that we had All or Nothing Season 2 mm. and we just had more of it now. Or I guess it would be Season 3, whatever it is. It's not Season 2, yeah. it would be. Um, and you just want to see all the little discussions that happen in that canteen. Yeah. You know, when the players go in, they're having the little pudding. Um, you know. Who's sitting on the same table? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think that Kane would go around and sort of sit with everyone. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was surprised. Uh, to be honest with you, when I watched that documentary, I was surprised that Kane was sitting with anyone. <laughs> I yeah. just would assume that he'd eat by himself. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I, I love the – I know we've talked about before, but I just love it so much. Just I would love to just see, like, even if it's a spin-off documentary where it just focuses on Levy, 
just walking around and awkwardly trying to like get in on conversations with people. Oh, like yeah. that when he's when Bergwijn's on FaceTime with his family. Yeah, and then Levy's in the background like, "Hey, hey," yeah. and then they turn around. They're like, "Sorry, what?" And he's like, "Oh, hey, no, I'm just hey saying hi." Like it was just this really weird interaction. Like you just get the impression that Levy just loves being a part of it. Yeah, and then he walks off and he's like, "Don't let him down." <laughs> he leaves. <and> he's like, Whoa. <laughs> So what, what is our next game? Because now we've got a, the international break now. Yes, we do. And then we have a Newcastle on Sunday, April 4th at 11.05 p.m., which is a very acceptable time. And is that home or away? That is away. And okay. Then, and then after that, on the 12th, uh, we have United at home. Hmm. Okay. That's, yeah. 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 No yeah. fair. I think at, at least the good thing about United is that Mourinho will – really not want to lose that. Mm. So you'd think for that game, you know, United are playing well yeah, and they're, they're obviously, you know, a lot higher up the table than they were last time we played them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'd think that there's still a lot at stake in that game. That sounds like a park the bus game. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it will be. <laughs> I think it will be a park the bus game. I think apart from United though, we don't have two, like the, I think we play Leicester as well. But then apart from that, I don't think there are that many games against like the top, you know, teams above us. I don't think there are that many. Uh, in terms of teams that are above us on the table, it's just United and Leicester. The only other team that we have that uh, is a, near us is Everton. Uh, and then we also have a Villa again. Okay. So but that Villa game must be the Southampton game, I guess, because... Uh, yeah, that because that's we we played the Villa one. Yeah, so that's Southampton. There we go. All right, we're finishing fourth. Yeah, that's a conclusion I'm making. We're <laughs> going to finish fourth. All right, I okay. will hold you to that. I need to bring it up. Like we finished, we were talking on such a positive note before about like the young players. Yeah, yeah. And then we were like, hang on, we haven't talked about the trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Classic Spurs podcast. Classic. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. All the bad things, yeah. the negative things. <laughs> so let's. I'm just trying to inject a little bit of hope at the end of the end of the episode that um, you know. We get a few results together. Uh, it could still be okay. And, um, yeah, we've got League Cup to look forward to as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, Alan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's oh, has it's been a pleasure. my favourite enjoyed one. it. Yeah, no, yeah. it was amazing. And it's always great to learn more about, you know, Spurs before we were around, before, as in before we were fans and before we were born even, um, and, you know, understand a little bit more about the club and where it's come from. Um and also, you know, it puts things in perspective that whatever pain we feel right now, you It'll have other It'll be fans. quadrupled yeah. <laughs> later on in You've time. got another 30 years, yeah. boys. <laughs> so we can't complain too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, all right. Well, I've been Dan. I've been Barney. And I'm Alan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this has been a bit spursy. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to A Bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.